0: Hello and welcome to the Friday, October 15th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the Big Lie Tour comes to Iowa, special elections, more Senate candidates, a strike, and all politics are local. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy.
1: Good morning, James.
0: Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for Lee Newspapers. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman Good morning, Todd Good morning You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcasts First up, the Big Lie Tour Aaron braved the hordes of unmasked and unvaccinated to join his fellow fake news reporters at former President Donald Trump's rally at Iowa State Fairgrounds Caught up with a lot of old friends, I'm sure, Aaron Um, People you hadn't seen for a while
2: you know what? The funny thing is, I actually did meet an old friend there. So maybe in an, an inspiring time that the journalists and Trump fans can actually uh, be friends.
0: Scary thoughts. Scary thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, you reported there was very little new in what Trump was saying. He teed off on of President Biden and Democrats, Mitch McConnell and congressional Republicans. And of course, the 2020 election, which he claims was rigged and stolen. Um, he didn't say he was a, a candidate in 2024 but uh, do you have any doubts that he's running?
2: <laughs> uh, I my gut doesn't feel like it's hundred uh, percent yet but it sure feels like he's at least you know laying the groundwork um, and and pretty strongly thinking about and and, and these kind of rallies uh, kind of serve the purpose of being out in some of these important states and um, you know, stay in in touch with his supporters and and keeping that um, you know fever pitch high. So if and when he does make the announcement, you know he hits the ground running, so to speak. Um, so so yeah, I, I you know it wasn't you know there was no official announcement, but it 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 sure felt uh, at least. Uh, one of the early building blocks to, uh, to another run. It, it's, it's just, it's kind of hard. And I know, you know, people talk about, uh, maybe, maybe he does things just cause he likes to get out there and it, you know, feeds his ego to have thousands of people, uh, cheering for him. And there may be a little bit to that too, but it, it's just an awful lot of work for everyone to go through. If it's not leading to something, uh, down the road, uh, which is what Yeah, I to... it, it,
0: it certainly looked and sounded like a campaign rally.
2: Absolutely, uh, <laughs> yeah. You would have thought the the election w- uh, was, you know, in a couple months, not, you know, almost three years right. away. Yeah.
0: And if Trump wasn't enough on his own, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley and Representatives Ashley Hinson and Marionette Miller-Meeks were there, apparently, to get the blessing of the Donald and connect with the people who are the base of today's Iowa GOP. All three voted to certify Joe Biden's victory. So, Aaron, which one tapped the former president on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, but you didn't win? Uh, none of them. Um, <laughs> none of I, them. I, I, I,
2: I think some of us in the media pen were, were saying that and, and put that in, in our uh, coverage. But uh, I think that was the closest any of the, um, the realists were to the former president at this point.
0: <laughs> Todd, uh, not that we need a poll to tell us, but uh, Morning Consult found that two-thirds of Republicans want Trump to run. In most cases, uh, it, it would be good news for a party to have out candidates so popular. But is this a case of the good news is the bad news or, or vice versa?
3: Well, it's, I mean, I hate to use the term, but it, it is what it is because he's, you know, he's the leader of the of the Republican Party. Uh, he, you know, po- all the polls... Show him winning a theoretical matchup with with the Ron DeSantis's of the world, and uh, you know he's he's very popular in Iowa. Ninety one percent of Republicans, as Senator Grassley pointed out, uh, support or you know think highly of of Donald Trump. And Grassley said that's why he accepted the uh, endorsement, which is you know a highly principled argument for accepting an endorsement. Yeah, I checked the polls and thumbs up. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the guy, you know, about, I think the only people that can stop him from running for president might be some, some prosecutors in New York. And, and, you know, you know, other than that, I, I, I don't know, It, it would, it would really surprise me if he if he didn't, if he didn't run again, especially when he's looking at, you know, Biden's having some trouble and I think he sees a path where he can, he could, you know, be the next Grover Cleveland, which which every boy in America wants to grow up and be the next <laughs> Grover Cleveland.
1: But enough about Todd's childhood. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah it, it's interesting because, I mean, there have been reports in the past week, um, the Hill and Vanity Fair both had reports quoting anonymous, anonymously uh, quoting senators who are saying they're praying that Trump doesn't run because it, it, they think that will sink Republicans' chances of um, uh, winning the midterms. And, and you know they point out that not only did Trump lose the White House, but during his term in office, Republicans lost the House and the Senate majorities. Um, um,
2: I, I just got to say I, I would, if I were able to talk to any of those senators and they were anonymous, so it'd be tough to, but I would warn them that I don't know if uh, God's gonna have time to get to that because the prayer at the Trump rally was the longest prayer I have ever heard oh, wow, wow. <laughs> I, I I turned to Dave Bryce afterwards and said boy got better get busy that that was a that was a long laundry list of things that <laughs> you and then they had uh, folks afterwards yelling at us in the media pen that they're praying for us to tell the truth to too so I I don't know there's there's a lot there's a lot to do uh, right now I don't know how much Well you
3: know, God's a busy aw, spirit yeah. yeah
0: yeah
3: Well you know and, and never mind the fact that just you know the the, the fact that these folks are speaking anonymously is yeah. you know how we got into this mess because none of them will speak publicly they created a monster and now it's like oh no the monster is going to ruin our chances of taking the majority it's like well okay
0: Okay. Well, okay. So it's almost Halloween. So let me throw out here a a scary conspiracy theory. These anonymous Republicans realize that there's nothing they can do to stop Donald Trump until he gets elected. And then Republicans impeach him and get rid of the guy for good.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't
0: (laughs) put all your money on that. They had two chances to do it
3: and didn't. So, I mean... (laughs)
0: yeah they had two chances but third time's the charm you know who knows i think there'd
3: have to be some alien (laughs) abductions and some replacement replicants or something for for that to happen if we want to carry out the halloween theme (laughs)
0: well we we got time we've got time tom um about two-thirds of republicans want trump to run and apparently to win and um percent But 59% of all voters and half of independents say they don't want to see him run again. Can Trump win without the independents who helped him in 2016?
4: Uh, I think it's very unlikely. And um, a CNN poll from last month, found that uh, while a majority of Republicans want the former president to run, um, they're evenly divided on whether having him at the top of the ticket will help the party retake the White House. Um, The poll was conducted um, August 3rd to September 7th, uh, about 2,000 U.S. adults, um, and it found that 63% of Republicans and Republican-leaning independents believe Trump should lead the party um, versus 37% who say that he shouldn't. Um, But only 51% believe that the party has a better chance of retaking the presidency if Trump is the nominee. Um, and then 49%, um, say a a different candidate would be better. And that share was down from 78% who said back in March of 2019 that the party would have an advantage with, uh, Trump, uh, in the, in the 2020 election.
0: So my, my takeaway from that poll is there is a slice of that, uh, Republican party that has some, uh, uh, grasp on the effect of Trump on their party, <laughs> that they they like him, but they would do better with somebody else. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, if that's good news or not. But, uh, Amy, is part of this that Joe Biden is just making it easy for Trump? I mean, we've got Afghanistan, inflation, a stalled agenda in Congress, the border. Um, who wouldn't want to run against this guy? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's almost beginning to look like Carter versus Reagan back in, in nineteen eighty.
1: Yeah, it's it's probably not something Democrats want to worry about right now since midterms are coming up. Um, But it's something that they're going to have to start worrying about, I think. Um, And it could honestly even affect midterms. I mean, if all politics are national nowadays, you know, you've got all of the things that have already happened. Plus, you know, they'll come up with other things, you know, that they're worried about happening. And then that'll just all fuel itself into, you know, the midterms or a referendum on Biden already. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they've they've got a lot of ground to make up. Like he said, it's three years away, so it's all speculation at this point. But, yeah, the peanut farmer versus the movie star.
0: There you go. Yeah.
1: What could go wrong?
0: I, I still keep thinking, uh, you know, in terms of Trump that can he stay, you know, focused for three years on, on anything? Uh, I mean, it's just – you know, I, I was surprised that he could stay focused for four years, if, you know, on being president. Um, it just seems like, well, you know,
2: if, if I think the you election you some people who argue he didn't see this. So. Right. Well,
1: yeah. <laughs> and, and, and did it matter? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, so, well, we'll see. Meanwhile, the Iowa GOP is celebrating its 3-0 record in special elections this year. They held uh, two Republican districts and earlier this week flipped a Democratic-held district that included Newton and Jasper County an old Democratic Union stronghold. Um, after John Dunwell received nearly 60% of the vote Tuesday, the Republican Party was quick to claim Iowa Democrats are entering the 2022 election cycle with an identity crisis, while I Republicans are gearing up and firing on all cylinders. Republicans uh, sought to tie the losses to Joe Biden's performance, calling the most recent election a clear sign of overwhelming Republican momentum. Aaron, Republicans did flip a district that had been represented by Democrats for nearly 50 years. Um, For the first time since 1973, before some of us or um, some of you were born, Republicans hold 60% of the seats in the legislature. And I think Chuck Grassley was in Iowa House back then in 1973. But is it a little early to be... Declaring victory in 2022 based on flipping a district that Trump carried 57-42 in 2020? In Can you even right. call uh, that a flip?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that that's the number uh, to remember here. Yes, this was a, a district held by a Democrat, but uh, you noted the recent voting trends, especially at the presidential um level. so, And again, as I said, uh, when we went into this with the Ankeny special election, the other thing to keep in mind here is uh, this person will serve for um, roughly a year and then the district's completely redrawn anyways. And, and we're talking about a completely different district and, and political makeup um, and who knows what that will look like. So um, you, you always have to be careful about how much you draw from a special election, but even more so um, this year when, when the districts are going to be changing anyways. Um, I, I, the writing was on the wall from this one from the start. There, I, there's not anybody, I think, who seriously follows politics and this stuff closely who, who thought that Democrats had a chance in this one. This was just a, a shifting <clears throat> area, shifting district. That, that was It was just a, a great lineup for, for Republicans and, and, and the Ankeny one. Similarly, was, it was an area that had been trending a little more Democratic, but it was still a Republican-leaning district, so Republicans kind of won two races that they should have won here. I, I think that's the bottom line to take out of this. Um, it was set up for them, <clears throat> and maybe that's more the takeaway than anything, is just there, there's just more Republican areas, more Republican districts in this state, and it's, it's a state that's, that's trending more Republican in general. Um, more so than, you know, Democrats having an identity problem or, or something along those lines.
0: And, and West Breckenridge, Breckenridge, who represented that district, was probably one of the more conservative Democrats in the Iowa House. I mean, Absolutely. He, he certainly was not like uh, a member of the squad. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. So, I mean, it, it, in some ways, this district had been uh, sort of leaning right uh, more so than... Perhaps in the past. And in, in the For What It's Worth department, nationally, there have been 64 special elections this year, 32 seats held by Democrats, 32 by Republicans, and so far Republicans have gained one seat. Um, so, Tom, uh, should we look at special elections as the harbinger of, of what's to come in 22, 2022, or do we need to wait until we see the maps Robbie Smith and his Senate Republican colleagues draw?
4: Yeah, I would um, echo Aaron, you know, um, I would caution against, you know, reading too much into a, a special election. And I think that you do uh, really have to wait and see what happens with the um, redistricting, which will matter more than the, the, than the special elections.
0: Moving on um, in the election field, a growing number of Democrats are lining up to challenge Senator Chuck Grassley. Um, Aaron, who's joining the fun.
2: Well, we got two new candidates this week, one that we have been expecting and maybe one that we weren't but should have. Um, Michael Franken. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing at myself because I made James laugh because he knows what I'm talking about. Uh, Michael Franken, uh, who ran uh, two years ago in the Democratic primary as well. Uh, He finished second to Teresa Greenfield, who obviously went on and faced Joni Ernst in the challenge and lost that general election. Uh, We'd been hearing for the longest time that, he was leaning towards getting in and, and, and taking another run. And, and he finally pulled um, the trigger on that, forgive the pun for a former a Navy veteran. Um, uh, he's so he's officially in now, as we kind of long expected. And that'll be interesting to see that, how that goes. I mean, he, he, I mean, I think Abby Finkenauer is still going to be considered the favorite. Um, she's got a lot of support within the party, but you know, he, he did a a good job in that primary two years ago and maybe surprised some people. He got 25% in the primary vote. So it'll be interesting to see how he fares uh, this time around again. Um, <laughs> and then the other candidate is uh, Bob Krause, who is a candidate for office for, um, and I, I'm, I'm looking up this in my notes, I think uh, the 300 millionth time. Um, uh, so Bob's just a, Bless his heart. He's a politically active guy. He's he's always been. He's he's a veterans advocate, um, and just seems to be a, a, a his his hobby is running for office somewhere. He's 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 never won. He's never really come close, but he's gonna put put his name out there again. So 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 Bob's uh, on the ballot again.
0: Bob, before you uh, start calling or emailing. Bob did win an election. Uh, he was a, a former state legislator from the Waterloo area, if I remember right, Blackout County at that time. But um, since then, he, his record is not that great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's interesting. When I talked to uh, Michael Franken a, a while back, um, he said he was more optimistic this year because he doesn't think the DNC or the DSCC will um, try to pick the candidate. And he said, although Fickenauer, um has some union endorsements, he feels confident that unions will back whoever um, Democratic voters choose as their candidate, um, which is different than two years ago when there seemed to be an anointed candidate from the very beginning. Uh, and he still got, as you mentioned, 25 percent of the vote in the primary. Moving on, um, John Deere work, workers went on strike. Uh, the United Auto Workers Union uh, has refused to ratify the offer uh, John Deere made. Uh, I think it was a twenty increase over six years, um, which it appears they could afford given their record profits. Amy, um, one of the John Deere plants is there in, in Blackout County in Waterloo. What's the outlook? for a settlement and what is the impact of this strike while it's going on?
1: Oh yeah. We've got about half a dozen plants actually in Waterloo that manufacture. probably, they, I think the union told me yesterday, they've got about 3,100 uh, or to 3,200 workers under their contracts um, that are striking right now. So yeah, I mean, basically it's really going to depend on how long the strike goes and there's sort of varying theories to that. On the one hand, um, it really does seem like um, if you're a worker, you've got the upper hand. Um, right now, there's a massive worker shortage, not only locally, but across the country. So even if it was just locally, you know, it, it wouldn't matter now because you can't truck in workers, basically, is what I'm trying to say. So there's that. There's the fact that um, salary workers aren't going to probably last long in this day and age working in places like. The dirty, smelly foundry, no offense to people that work there, but I know people that work there and they tell me it's dirty and smelly. You know, it's a hard job and salary workers probably aren't going to be able to do that job for very long without, frankly, going to another job where there are openings. Um, so that's that's that. On the other hand, you've got, um, you know, politicians weighing in right now saying, you know, we stand in solidarity um, with the UAW. Um, Republicans really aren't weighing in too much on this. Um, I heard from Ashley Hinson's team today. Um, they said she's monitoring the situation. Um, I, you know, I think other people have heard from from Grassley and the governor and things like that on on this. And, you know, they're they're sort of not saying a ton. So it'll it'll be interesting. Um, I think it might be in Deere's best interest to cave basically and, and, and distract quickly. Um, if they're looking to continue the record profit streak for their shareholders, it's probably their best course of action. But on the other hand, if you want to sort of hold out and see how it goes, you know, this, we could be in it for the long haul. The last time, uh, they struck 1986, it was, I believe 180 some days which is quite a while. so And that definitely had a gigantic impact on Waterloo um, between that and the Rath Pack enclosure. I think there are about 20,000 people that left the city.
0: I, I can't say for certain, but it seems to me it's been a long time since we've had a major strike in Iowa. I mean, it, we just haven't seen a lot of strikes. Um, and there may be some uh, that I'm not thinking of, but nothing of this magnitude for a long time. Um, yeah, sure. And so it's it's sort of new to a lot of people to have uh, that many people walking out and and walking down the picket lines. Um,
1: And it's not just your John Deere tractors and and their profits that are going to affect it because in a place like Waterloo or in the Quad Cities, you've got all of these other industries, um, some of which are solely dependent on John Deere for for materials and and other things. Um, So it's really going to have a ripple effect if it continues for very long.
0: Tom, you, you talked to Governor Reynolds yesterday and, and asked her about this situation and, and uh, short of, uh, you know, calling in the National Guard to fill those jobs. Uh, did she have some thoughts on, on this?
4: Um, yeah. So as uh, Amy mentioned, um, you know, the governor didn't really have um, a whole lot to say on this. Um, she said, uh, given the worker shortages that um, you're seeing uh, in Iowa um, and across the nation, um, and um, given the pressure that um, deer faces to, to fill work orders, you know, uh, we've been told um, by workers that, you know, November is kind of the, the timeline when, um, you know, production is supposed to kind of ramp up for the delivery of um, harvesters for, for, for next year. So, um, again, given the, the worker shortages and the pressure um, to, to, to fill these orders. Um, she said that she's confident that Deere and the UAW will um, come to an agreement and get employees back to work sooner rather than later. Um, However, she did have the caveat of saying that um, she hasn't spoken to Deere or um, anyone from the UAW. Um, But, you know, she was, um, she didn't seem to be, I guess, too concerned about the strike at this point. And, um, and again, reiterated, felt that confident that both parties will come together to a resolution um, fairly quickly.
0: All right. Moving on. Finally, all politics. I can't even talk this morning. It's too early. All politics is local. Local elections in Iowa have, for the most part, been low-key affairs with low turnout, unless there was a specific issue that had voters riled up. That seems to have changed this year, Amy. One difference is the participation of political action committees in the local elections uh, in Waterloo there. What's behind that and what impact are they having?
1: Yeah, the, it's interesting. This year, um, there's a couple big packs in both Waterloo and Cedar Falls. So in Waterloo, you've got Cedar Valley Backs the Blue, which actually um, was a pack that came out of the issue of the Waterloo police logo being retired. Um, which was a Griffin, which some found, um, you know, to be racist for a long, long time. And then that came to a head last year and they retired it um, and basically ended up replacing it with like just the words Waterloo police and no logo at all. And it's been a big deal. And it's been one of the factors, although not a giant factor, the police say that has affected police morale. Um, So that whole thing. Is um, The result has been uh, Cedar Valley backs the blue, which is a coalition of retired officers and current officers um, that are sort of backing candidates that say that they would, um, you know, either vote to bring back the Griffin or that, you know, care about the police more than their other candidates. So they've been very vocal in uh, Waterloo Cedar uh, City elections. And then over in Cedar Falls, you've got uh, Cedar Falls Forward, and they're a group that basically... um, is also sort of police focused in a way. Um, they they're sort of like a broader group, but one of their big issues is that they want to continue Cedar Falls's um, first in the state uh, combined police fire department, um, known as the public safety officer model. So obviously that's been a big issue of contention for like the last six years um, since that's been fully implemented. And so it's it's been yeah we've got a couple big packs that are trying to to weigh in on on. Both sides of this is matter in two cities. So it's been very interesting.
0: Does it seem like they're motivating voters? I mean, that this will affect turnout?
1: Yeah, I think um, at least Cedar Valley backs the blue, um, sort of just putting their thumb on the scale and saying, these are the candidates um, that if you support the police um, that you want to vote for. Um, I think they'll probably have a big impact. They've had big billboards downtown that are sort of eviscerating the mayor um, who they don't like, um, and, you know, other sorts of mailers like that. Um, I think Cedar Falls Forward has had some mailers and really pointed people towards, you know, social media. Um, but their message is um, less less negative messaging and, and more sort of positive, like, look how well the city is doing and things like that. So I don't know if that will necessarily tip the scales as much other than just remind maybe those um, voters that like how things are going to to come to the polls and how important that is.
0: Erin, Democrats have pushed the involvement in local races for a number of years as a way to build and engage voters and find and develop candidates for future office. Um, This fall, Governor Kim Reynolds has turned up the political factor, telling her supporters to treat city and school elections next month, just like the 2022 midterms. What's uh, piqued her interest?
2: Well, the as we've talked about uh, a number of times on, on this podcast, <clears throat> I think if there's one issue that kind of fanned these flames of uh, a, a governor getting involved in local races, it's the uh, face masks in schools um, issue. Uh, and, and as we've talked about, the governor um, actually has endorsed and helped out a candidate for Ankeny School Board. Um, so so that that is maybe the, the the one issue that is kind of helped the governor you know use this to to um bring forth to you know her supporters and at at, at, at events like the harvest festival where she you know made the announcement that you just um described um you know it she uses that as a way to say we we need to be finding candidates. And and, uh, if I'm remembering right, she did fall just short of saying Republican candidates for local office, but she said uh, candidates who align with our interests uh, to a room full of Republicans uh, and conservatives. So um yeah, I think in this case, anyways, in this moment right now, that, that masks and schools issue is the one that the, the governor has used to um, connect that message with with her supporters, with Iowa Republicans.
0: Todd, in Cedar Rapids, um, there's been at least a hint of politics in city council races since the last days of the Paul Pate reign as mayor, I guess. Um but it's been amped up this year they are it's not as um uh how would i say couched as the 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 governor's uh people who align with our values They're, people are talking about democrats and republicans um what what seems to have made the difference i mean why has that changed and and uh how's it going over with voters
3: well i mean you've got three uh, main candidates who I think have, you know, a shot at winning, and that's the the current mayor Brad Hart, is a Republican and uh, Tiffany O'Donnell, a former news anchor. We seem to like the news anchors around these parts <laughs> to for, for government jobs. Uh, she's a Republican, gave 500 bucks to Ashley Henson, but has sort of run as someone who can work with both parties and has you know, given money, gave money to Fred Hubble. Uh, so she's, she's a Republican, but she's kind of trying to portray herself as being sort of in the middle. She says she's a, she's a member of the party of Cedar Rapids. So that's, uh, that's a new party. And
2: Ain't no party like a Cedar Rapids party.
3: <laughs> that's right. Exactly. And then you've got uh, Amara Andrews, who is running, uh, unabashedly as a progressive. She's getting help from, uh, you know, progressive groups. She's raising money using Act Blue. She's been uh, uh, endorsed by Emily's List, and uh, when when Brad Hart and Tiffany O'Donnell decided to uh, release their campaign finance numbers early because they don't really have to be released until like the Friday before the election, uh, Amara Andrews sort of backed off of that and would not release her campaign finance which seems to maybe underscore the argument that she's getting a lot of support from outside the city which her opponents have uh, have leveled so uh yeah and you know and andrews also did a fundraising appeal where she sent out uh a, a basically she was tying hart and uh tiffany o'donnell to you know Governor Reynolds and Ashley Henson, and she on the on the I don't know if it was a mailer or just an email appeal, but their you know their pictures appear next to Trump and and some other Republicans. So she's you know hammering that home, hoping you know to motivate the Democratic base, progressive base in a city that generally you know votes over overwhelmingly Democratic, but also has a sort of history of uh, electing you know, sort of moderate Republican mayors. So she's, I think she's trying to break that cycle. And this is the strategy she's, she's using is to, is to tap those political resources.
0: I I heard her speaking at a Democratic, uh, I guess it was the county party meeting a month or so ago. And I mean, she was, you know, making that argument that, you know, we need to elect a Democratic mayor because we have to put be ready to push back on Ashley Hinson and Governor Reynolds and Donald Trump. And it's sort of like I, I didn't know Donald Trump was running in this race, but uh, I guess he, he's part of it now. Um yeah. So, I mean, partisan politics seem to be working so well in Washington and Des Moines. I guess we, we want to try it in our city council chambers, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, <that's, laughs>
3: well, you know, it, it, it will be interesting to see. We have a runoff system. So if nobody gets 50 percent of the vote, then there's going to be a runoff at the end of November. And uh, I mean, you know, we talked about politics, you know, being part of Cedar Rapids city government politics for a long time, partisan politics, Uh, you know, in a runoff, short, short voting period. I mean, someone that has a good organization, and I think Andrews has a good organization. We, I think in 2000, right after the flood, I forget exactly what year, 2009, there were sort of remnants of the, of the Obama team that helped pass a local sales tax that was sort of on a short election cycle. And so that's, you know, it's possible that maybe Amara Andrews could do that, or you know, someone might win it outright. Tiffany O'Donnell might. Who knows?
0: Yeah, and with the runoff system, I mean, there are a lot of people who say, "Oh, I already voted in in the city council <laughs> race and the mayor race," and they and they don't bother uh, voting in the in the runoff election. you know, done it once, I'm not doing it again, sort of thing. But
3: yeah, turnout um, turnout turn definitely dips, and this one would be, I think, like the the Tuesday, maybe after Thanksgiving. Or something Ooh, like that. Perfect so, timing. yeah, I guess they should put the polling places and I don't know, put them on like Amazon or somewhere that people are shopping.
0: Yeah. Black them, Friday let them, election. Let them
3: vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You bust through the doors of the Walmart and there's a voting booths. Yeah. Hey, Joel Joe Miller would do it. You, you know. Do. Vote yeah. and get get a half price flat screen. There you go.
0: <laughs>
3: in that order. <laughs>
0: Well, if that happens, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. And if you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette dot com. And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dream Thieves will take us out. And if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Todd, Tom, Amy, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well.